it once occurred to a certain king that if he always knew the right time to begin everything, if he knew who were the right people to listen to and whom to avoid, and above all, if he always knew what was the most important thing to do, he would never fail at anything he might undertake. Hey everybody, Pre-Accident Podcast, it's Todd Conklin, how are you? So today's a little different, let's uh, let's actually sit back and listen before we go much further to a really interesting study, it's, uh, it's actually a short story by Leo Tolstoy, and Tolstoy, I think, has some very interesting lessons that he wanted to share when he wrote this story. And now, hundreds of years later, it's time for us to rethink about these and listen carefully. So before we go any further, let me read a story to you and see what you think. Sit back and relax. Close your eyes unless you're driving. And that would be stupid. Don't do that. But sit back and relax and think about what we're about to hear. Because this is The Three Questions. The Three Questions by Leo Tolstoy It once occurred to a king that if he always knew the right time to begin everything, if he knew who were the right people to listen to and whom to avoid, and above all, if he always knew what was the most important thing to do, he would never fail in anything he might undertake. And this thought having occurred to him, he had it proclaimed throughout his kingdom that he would give a great reward to anyone who would teach him what was the right time for every action and who were the most necessary people and how he might know what was the most important thing to do. And learned men came to the king, but they all answered his questions differently. In reply to the first questions, some said that to know the right time for every action, one must draw up in advance a table of days and months and years and must live strictly according to it. Only thus, they said, could everything be done at its proper time. Others declared that it was impossible to decide beforehand the right time for every action, but that not letting oneself be absorbed in idle pastimes, one should always attend to all that was going on and then do what was most needful. Others, again, said that however attentive the king might be to what was going on, it was impossible for one man to decide correctly the right time for every action, but that he should have a council of wise men who would help him fix the proper time for everything. But then again, others said there were some things which could not wait to be laid out before a council, but about which one had to at once decide whether to undertake them or not. But in order to decide that, one must know beforehand what was going to happen. It is only magicians who can know that. And therefore, in order to know the right time for every action, one must consult magicians. Equally various were the answers to the second question. Some people said the king most needed were his counselors, others, the priests, others, the doctors, while some said warriors were the most necessary. To the third question, 
as to what was the most important occupation? Some replied that the most important thing in the world was science. Others said it was skill in warfare. And others again said it was religious worship. All the answers being different, the king agreed with none of them and gave the reward to none. But still wishing to find the right answers to his questions, he decided to consult a hermit widely renowned for his wisdom. The hermit lived in a wood which he never quitted, and he received none but common folk. So the king put on some simple clothes and, before reaching the hermit's cell, dismounted from his horse, leaving his bodyguard behind, he went on alone. When the king approached the hermit, the hermit was digging the ground in front of his hut. Seeing the king, he greeted him and went on digging. The hermit was frail and weak, and each time he struck his spade into the ground and turned a little earth, he breathed heavily. The king went up to him and said, I have come to you, wise hermit, to ask to answer three questions. How can I learn to do the right thing at the right time? Who are the people I most need, and to whom should I, therefore, pay more attention to than the rest? And what affairs are most important and need my first attention? The hermit listened to the king, but answered nothing. He just spat on his hands and recommenced digging. You are tired, said the king. Let me take the spade and work a while for you. Thanks, said the hermit. And giving the spade to the king, he sat down on the ground. When he had dug two beds, the king stopped and repeated his question. The hermit again gave no answer, but rose, stretched out his hands for the spade, and said, Now rest a while. Let me work a bit. But the king did not give him the spade and continued to dig. One hour passed and another, and the sun sank between the trees. And the king at last struck the spade into the ground and said, I come to you, wise man, for an answer to my questions. If you can give me none, tell me so, and I will return home. Here comes someone running, said the hermit. Let's see who it is. The king turned round and saw a bearded man come running from the wood. The man held his hands pressed against his stomach, and blood was flowing from underneath them. When he reached the king, he fell, fainting on the ground, moaning feebly. The king and the hermit unfastened the man's clothing. There was a large wound in his stomach. The king washed it as best he could and bandaged it with his handkerchief and with the towel that the hermit had. But the blood would not stop flowing. And the king again and again removed the bandage, soaked with warm blood, and washed and rebandaged the wound. When at last the blood ceased flowing, the man revived and asked for something to drink. The king brought fresh water and gave it to him. Meanwhile, the sun had set and it had become cool. So the king, with the hermit's help, carried the wounded man into the hut and laid him on the bed. Lying on the bed, the man closed his eyes and was quiet. But the king was so tired from his walk and from the work he had done that he crouched down on the threshold and fell asleep so soundly that he slept 
all through the short summer night. When he woke in the morning, it was long before he could remember where he was or who was this strange bearded man lying on the bed, gazing intently at him with shining eyes. Forgive me, said the bearded man in a weak voice when he saw that the king was awake and was looking at him. I do not know you and have nothing to forgive you for, said the king. You do know me, and I know you. I am that enemy of yours who swore to revenge himself on you because you executed his brother and seized his property. I knew you had gone alone to see the hermit, and I resolved to kill you on your way back. But the day passed, and you did not return. So I came out from my ambush to find you and came upon your bodyguard, and they recognized me and wounded me. I escaped from them, but should have bled to death had you not dressed my wounds. I wished to kill you, and you have saved my life. Now, if I live, and if you wish it, I will serve as your most faithful slave and will bid my sons to do the same. Forgive me. The king was very glad to have made peace with his enemy so easily and to have gained him for a friend. And he not only forgave him, but said he would send his servants and his own physician to attend to him and promise to restore his property. Having taken leave of the wounded man, the king went out onto the porch and looked around for the hermit. Before going away, he wished once more to beg an answer to the questions he'd put. The hermit was outside, on his knees, sowing seeds in the beds that had been dug the day before. The king approached the hermit and said, For the last time, I pray you to answer my questions, wise man. You've already been answered, said the hermit, still crouching on his thin legs and looking up at the king who stood before him. How answered? What do you mean? asked the king. Do you not see? replied the hermit. If you had not pitied my weakness yesterday, and had not dug these beds for me, but had gone your way, that man would have attacked you, and you would have repented of not having stayed with me. So the most important time was when you were digging the beds, and I was the most important man. And to do me good was your most important business. Afterwards, when the man ran to us, the most important time was when you were attending to him. For if you had not bound up his wounds, he would have died without having made peace with you. So he was the most important man. And what you did for him was your most important business. Remember then, there is only one time that is important. Now. It is the most important time because it is the only time where you have any power. The most necessary person is the one with whom you are. For no man knows whether he will ever have dealings with anyone else. And the most important affair is to do that person good. 
Because for that purpose alone, man was sent into this life. So I'm just going to let that sink in a while. How did you like my incredible interpretation of the story? I hope you enjoyed it. It was kind of fun to do. So we use words all the time like situational awareness, worker attention, focus, heightened alert, a healthy sense of unease, safety conscious work environment. These are terms we use all the time. And they're all really pretty much the same thing. They all talk about this notion of sense-making and mindfulness. And those words are kind of scary when you hear them because those seem like words that like hippies would use or massage therapists as they serve you hummus with those little cucumber bayonets, those little slices of cucumbers. That's the kind of language they would use, sense-making and mindfulness. And yet, what we do for a living and what all the workers who touch work, especially high-hazard, high-consequence work, do for a living all day long, every day, is make sense of the world around them. And that brings us to the idea of Tolstoy's three questions. Because those three questions are pretty meaningful to us at every single level. And really, those questions makes such a difference. And we have to think about those questions when we think about the way we think about how workers manage work. It once occurred to a certain king that if he always knew the right time to begin everything, if he knew who the right people to listen to and whom to avoid, and above all, if he always knew what was the most important thing to do, He would never fail in anything he undertook. And this idea that these answers are there is really compelling, seductive almost. But in fact, I would suggest what Tolstoy is talking to us about is really the idea of existing in the present. So if you think about it, I mean, there's really kind of three times. There's the past. We know what that is. That's already happened. And there's not much we can do to actually change the past, even though retrospective bias makes us look like we could have absolutely made the past better by simply choosing different outcomes earlier and then sticking with them. There's the future, which is the uncertainty ahead of us, which we've talked about for what seems like eons, but certainly all the way through the pandemic. And the crazy thing about uncertainty is that uncertainty is, in fact, uncertain. And it seems really uncomfortable to think about the future being uncertain, except that I would suggest the future's always been uncertain. That's the thing about the future. You can't really do much to impact the future because you don't know what the future will hold. And then the third time is the present. The most important person you can be with is the person you're with now. The most important question you can ask are the questions you're asking now. The most important thing you can do is to work diligently to make the encounter you have with the people that are with you a positive 
encounter. That's really all Tolstoy was telling us. That That's it. It seems simple. It's a good directive, almost spiritual in a way. And yet, I would suggest that's also mirroring almost exactly what we talk about when we talk about agile and adaptive workers making sense out of the multiple variabilities that exist around them while they perform high-risk tasks in a meaningful and reliable way. That idea of being present, of being mindful, that's really a way to capture what it is that highly reliable teams do. They exist in the present. They interface with the people around them. They listen to the pulses and signals as weak as they may be from the very work they find. So Ellen Langford, you might remember her name because we've talked about her before on the podcast. In fact, we even played a big interview with her on the podcast. She defines this idea of mindfulness in a way that, at least for me, you guys, is much more palatable because it sounds much less woolly and much more operational. And what she says is mindfulness is the ability to walk into the same room many, 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 many times, and yet each one of those times notice something different. That's really what workers do. As much as we want them to pay attention, to care more, to try harder, as much as we want them to be situationally aware, to, to be present in the workplace, what we really need them to do is to be mindful, to make sense out of the work they have before them. And how you get there and how you think about it, well, let's leave that up to Leo Tolstoy. And the story he shared with us about a king and a hermit. Because any story that has a hermit is a good story. I mean, I'm just saying that right from the start. That idea of mindfulness and moving forward is foundational to what we think about. And how we think about work happening. And what it does for us as people who think about reliability and resilience for people who think about safety and performance, for people who think about stability in systems that are high risk and high consequence, is it allows us the ability to understand that there is, in fact, an entirely open, almost organic layer to what we do that is directly related to the way the workers who are doing this work make sense out of the world around them. And our job is to not prescriptively tell them what to do because all of the learned men in the kingdom all gave different answers. And if you listen to every podcast or read every book, I'm pretty sure you're going to get different answers. Not that anybody's that learned. I mean, don't get me wrong. I'm not blowing any smoke up anybody's dress. Our job is to not have the answers. Our job is to help create an environment where workers doing work that they've done many, many times before have the opportunity, the space, if you will, both actual space and psychological space, the space to notice something different. And for us to build a culture in which that kind of conversation 
is acceptable. Not just acceptable, that's probably the wrong word, is wanted and desired and seen as a meaningful input into creating our path as we move. Oh, sure, you can live in the past. I mean, it's kind of nice because in the past you can fix all the problems. Or, sure, you can worry about the future, but you don't really get to control the future because it's the future and it's going to be uncertain. And the belief that somehow knowing the future allows you to manage the future is comfortable, but not terribly practical. What you have is now. And now is the person you're with, the task you're doing, the conversation you're having, and the goal to move forward. That's Tolstoy's story. And I want to thank Cliff Berry because Cliff reminded me oh so gently of the importance of this little story that I hadn't really thought of for a while, certainly since literature class. I mean, it's been a while. But it's always good to sort of touch back, to think about what's happening and how things are going to move forward and what we do with this information. I hope you enjoyed it. It was really fun. So I'll be right back. I'm going to ask you one more special favor before we leave. One more thing. It's a little bit of a housekeeping uh, comment, but I need to do it because I've gotten a lot of requests. I, I mean, kind of a weird lot of requests. So I don't know if you know this, but during the pandemic, the numbers of people who listen to like this podcast, for instance, went way up, like way up, way high up, which is great. I'm so thankful. And I know every single moment I spend with you on this podcast is because people listen to it. I mean, I'm pretty sure I wouldn't do this if no one listened, although I'm not 100% sure I wouldn't do this if no one listened. So let's just keep it at that. And I think a lot's been going on. And so the request I got is people would like the ability to submit questions and have me talk about those questions. Not that I have answers. I'm not saying I have answers. I never say I have answers. But maybe we could have a discussion around those questions. And so I'm going to make that happen. Since a lot of people want to do it, seems like there'll be interest. So if you get a chance, submit questions to Office Todd Conklin, one word, no dots, just Office Todd Conklin at gmail.com. That's my old assistant's email, but my assistant left me for a dentist because work went away and there was nothing for them to do. So they moved on to greener pastures, even though I would suggest I'm not sure a dentist is greener pastures. But we can talk about that later too. But if you have a question, something you want to talk about, really a question, a, an earth-shattering question that you think makes a huge difference, then submit it to officetoddconklin at gmail.com. I'll give you a couple of weeks to do that because that'll work fine. And then I'll come back and actually address these questions as uh, we get them. So I think we'll have room for, I don't know, depending on how detailed and amazing the questions are, and they'll be pretty detailed and pretty amazing because you guys are good at this. But I bet we can get six or eight questions in an episode, and that would be good, and we could tie a bow on it and make it happen. So if you don't mind, run to your computer or your phone, jot an email to Office Todd Conklin with some questions, a question would be fine, two if you want, that you think would be interesting for us to uh, have a discussion around on the podcast. And if they're really good, Mm, who knows? Maybe I'll, I'll get some people to sort of 
um, provide some guest information into what's happening. But I think that'll be a fun way for us to spend some time. And it certainly, um, well, the timing must be right for it because all of a sudden people are asking to do this and they've never really asked before. So we should do it. Why not? Nothing. I mean, I'm glad to do it. And since there's a desire, well, let's provide an outcome. Until then, that is pretty much the pod for today. Thanks for listening. I appreciate it so much. Tell your friends, subscribe. That seems to make some kind of weird difference. Like, smash that like button. I don't even know what that means. Well, I do know what it means, but not on a podcast. I don't know what it means. But mostly, learn something new every single day, which I'm sure you did today, because today was kind of a good day, kind of a a 300-level literature class day is what today was. Right? Have as much fun as you possibly can. Be kind to each other. Check in on your buddies because it still matters. It matters a lot right now, actually. And most importantly, for goodness sakes, be safe.